Welcome to Bloombox Growing Deeper. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. And we're on a mission to help you become the gardener you want to be. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Bloombox Growing Deeper. It's a brand new year. It's 2024. That's, <laughs> that sounds crazy to me because... That just sounded really far away. Although I was trying to set up a meeting with somebody today and they're like, how about these days? And I was like, that's a Saturday and a Sunday. I am not interested in meeting on those days. They said, oh, I was looking at 2025 already. So at least I'm not looking that far ahead (laughs) for meetings. Um, So welcome to 2024. We hope you had a good um, holiday season, whatever that means to you, and a happy new year. And we are here ready to help you with your gardening resolutions. And one of those gardening resolutions might be try a new plant this year. And so we are going to talk about great plants, which is our way of trying to get people to use underutilized plants. So Sarah's here with me, but also we have Bob today, Bob Henriksen, who is a pod favorite. (laughs) Pod favorite. Oh, man, I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) So we have Bob today because Bob has been kind of the leader of the Great Plants program for quite a while. Do you want to give us a quick background on, I know we did this last year, we went in depth. So just real quick, what is Great Plants and how did we choose the Great Plants? You know, the the Great Plants actually started before I got here back in, way back in 1998. And the idea is, you know, let's pick a, a group of plants every year as a plant of the year. And we have different categories because we didn't just want to focus on a tree or a perennial whatever, just have different categories. And the idea is to promote overlooked, underutilized plants that we know are great for Nebraska, but for some reason aren't finding their way into gardens. So this program's designed to help you pick out the tough dudes, you know, those resilient plants, those easy to grow plants, you know, and since 1998, we have an extensive list of plants. So say you're new to gardening and you're like, oh, what what can I plant that benefits pollinators, that's resilient, you know, that doesn't take a whole lot of fuss, i.e. water, uh, especially in times of drought, is important, right? So, yeah, that's what it's all about is introducing the gardener to plants that are plains proven yet uh, and deserve a place in your garden and just haven't found it yet. Before we get into the plants, can you give us a quick overview of how they are selected? Yeah. So every year, the Nebraska Nursery and Landscape Association, which is the nursery industry's professional organization in Nebraska, uh, this is a cooperative with them where we uh, we submit nominate or candidates for for those folks to vote on. And usually that's done over the, their winter conference, their annual winter conference or, or online. And uh, so you have everything from nursery professionals to landscape designers, landscape installers, people that are in the know when it comes to plants. And uh, and then they vote on these uh, winners. And the, the candidates are nominated by plant professionals within those categories as well, nursery and professionals, you know, landscape designers um, and such. So really prevent... Uh, it's not just a, you can't just vote for it, right? It, it, you got to be a nursery professional to be able to vote for it. So you have to know a little something about plants. Yeah, you know, it'd be kind of fun to do a public category, too, to be honest with you. You know, I, you guys. So I was just thinking about this and we can cut this if we don't want to. But I thought, what if this March we did a um, 
like March Madness, but for plants. Ooh, oh, uh oh, <laughs> idea number twenty-two. I like that, Hannah. Right? Yes. I yes. have no idea how it would work. I think that'd be kind of but fun. But it might be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. Okay. I feel like Toby could set that up. <laughs> You know, I was thinking the same thing, so it sounds like we've assigned Toby a job. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Wow, yeah. We'll probably better tell him before this episode airs. Yeah, exactly. So That's fun. Although, could you come to a worse place to talk about sports ball? Because none of us are really <laughs> right. into sports. Like, we follow some things. I did watch the volleyball game, which peeked behind the curtain. We're recording before the national championship game, which is this weekend. So, we may have... National championships by the time this comes right? out. I don't oh, know. Yeah. We're playing yeah. Texas. I'm a little worried. Boom. All right. The first one uh-huh. is the perennial of the year, and it's Agastache Blue Fortune. So yeah. Hyssop. Yeah. Um, and this is. Uh, it's a hybrid. Mm-hmm. It's not a straight species. Develops by some European dude, right? You know, so you got the the hybrid uh, Rugosa uh, Agastache. Uh, you know, and that 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 name. Puh, it's like, dude, how do you pronounce that, right? Agastache. I've heard Agastache, Agastaki, whatever. It's a hyssop, right? And so uh, this Blue Fortune Rugosa is what I think, Sarah, is the anise or anise hyssop. Um, and the uh, Foenaculum, that is our native blue giant hyssop. Because, mm-hmm. And if you look at the two plants, there's definitely a difference between the two, right? So I wish they would fix that because they call Anis hyssop Agastache Foenaculum. Yeah, but, I get frustrated. If you Google Anis hyssop, you can find like every species of right? hyssop called that. But yeah. I've always gone with the Rugosa. Right, right. I believe, yeah. And bottom line is... Uh, it's it's supposedly a sterile hybrid. I take that with a grain of salt. You know, I I, I have to see it to believe it. But uh, knowing people that have gardened with Blue Fortune, this selection, um, it's it's longer blooming. I mean, hyssop is long blooming in, to begin with, but this baby just keeps like the Energizer Bunny. It just keeps on going. And I've read an account where. I don't know who counted these flowers, but on one spike of a hyssop, one spike can contain up to 70,000 flowers because it just keeps blooming, keeps blooming. And they're Who tight, did that? Right? <laughs> and so when you see the pollinators clamoring over the thing, it's like it's no wonder because there's always something blooming on it. Um, you know, the plant's like, dude, I got this. And yeah, so Blue Fortune, what, what we have with this plant is probably a six-week bloom time, which is pretty unheard of for a perennial. And you can deadhead it to get it to re- give a, a nice kick in the fall. But I like to leave those seed heads up because I think they look nice in the wintertime, too. Nice, uh, you know, tawny brown spikes in the wintertime. And and then you can see American goldfinches will come and pick at them in the wintertime, too. So it's a cool, cool plant. So will it have that same, um, like, black licorice anise kind of smell to it yeah it sure does you know so and and some people say well i don't like licorice well then don't scratch and sniff it right (laughs) it's not like you're going to walk by and smell it right uh but no uh so in other words hannah it's it's certainly edible and you can use the plant for making tea um and i would highly recommend you do that yeah yeah (laughs) she's looking for it on her teacup i love it do i have it Anna just gave me a teacup for christmas that has all these tea plants on it so i was checking to see if it was on here yeah yeah well, they won't all fit on a one mug. <laughs> well, the hyssops, you guys, are known as the cooling herb. So that's a good tea to make. What I like making in the summertime are, are um, cold brew teas, you know. And, and so if you have a patch of Blue Fortune hyssop, you can go out there and pluck the leaves long before it blooms because it's a summer bloomer, right? And so you can start plucking it early in the spring when it's emerging and not 
affect your bloom. I mean, you can pluck it later than that too, of course, but still you can make a nice sun tea out of that. Um, usually I won't, I'll kind of bypass the sun tea part and just put it in a pitcher and put it right in the fridge and forget about it for two or three days. But on a hot summer day, drinking that cooling herb really, uh, really, really works. It's supposed to help with migraines too, right? Or yeah, headaches. migraines. I mean, it's a wonder herb, to be honest with you. The, the anise hyssop is overlooked and underutilized. Uh, people that are into baths will make you know, like a back, bath salt blend. So you could make a bath salt blend and there's recipes online for that. I can't remember, again, for a cooling herb. So say you know somebody, and oftentimes our kids say they got sunburned from head to toe and you're like, you know, there's nothing you can do for them to relieve that pain. They're, they're like, sure, you can do aloe vera, but a bath in, in hyssop water um, really goes a long way. Calendula would be another one, too. But we'll, now that we're talking about Blue Fortune, yeah, it really works. And I've heard accounts of people. I haven't had to do that before, but I know people that have, and they say it really works. Yeah, so Blue Fortune, fortunately, you should be able to have it in your garden. We should be able to have it at this year's Spring Affair. What's the benefit of it being sterile? Well, the hyssops, uh, especially the anise hyssop and whatnot, people have complained about it being a little too aggressive of a cedar. And I like to say, you know, sure, it can seed around and maybe more than you want it to, but it likes to seed around an open ground. So if you have a bunch of plants in, the, in, in this seeding opportunities way, it doesn't stand a chance. You might get one here and there. And I think you should welcome that because then it's going to give you landscape opportunities you didn't know maybe oh i wouldn't have thought of that combination right or you can even pluck a seed head and kind of plant it here and there right um and because the individual plants of anise hyssop can be short-lived now blue fortune um i think that's the benefit of it being a hybrid is the hybrid vigor it's a vigorous plant so it's uh individual plants going to last longer than a typical hyssop which might be what three years and they start to decline especially during a drought and we've seen that seen this plant where i first discovered it was out in scott's bluff of all places we're walking around their uh, downtown scott's bluff arboretum which is an affiliated arboretum site of the nsa so we did a little tour every year and spotted this hyssop blooming and oh that's blue fortune and i'm like Blue Fortune, never heard of it. Had to look it up, and uh, it's been performing out there. So, and if you're, you know, so it, we, it's one we're confident will do well throughout Nebraska. Yeah, we've come down kind of hard on sterile plants before um, for pollinator mm -hmm. benefit, but there's a difference in the way that plants become sterile. Mm -hmm. And first of all, the bees and butterflies are telling you that this plant is a good habitat mm -hmm. plant. They're covering it. Um, Sometimes plants are stale because they have double blooming flowers. Mm -hmm. So they've been bred to replace those reproductive parts with another set of petals. This plant is sterile because of the genetics that happen when you take two different species that were compatible enough to produce seed, but aren't compatible enough to allow their offspring to produce seed. So the, the seed's not viable. This, yeah. So it, it has all of the parts, but it doesn't have the genetics mm -hmm. to create a viable seed right. itself. Right. I don't think you want the details on that. <laughs> Either way, we don't see it like say, oh, well, I'm seeing it seed around. Well, it's not going to escape and get into the wild and be in a, you know, this overtaker of landscapes. That's for sure. Um, you know, it's just not. All right. Should we talk about tree of the year? Yes, let's do. I'm excited for this one. Sarah and I were just talking to someone about a grant project in Kearney. And I noticed that this tree is on their approved street tree list. Nice. 
So tell us what it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, the Shad Blow Service Berries, uh, uh, one of my favorites, uh, probably because of the fruit it produces, right? Uh, but it has so many other attributes. One of those, it's a small tree, right? And, and when you purchase the thing, you're probably going to look, well, it looks like a darn shrub to me. And well, it is at that young age. What a shrub can become a small tree, right? Or a slash large shrub. Well, this thing tends to be multi-branched. So kind of picture an Amer maple type look, I guess, maybe kind of sort of. Um, but meaning you can have more than just one single stem. You can have three or four or five. And it'll grow up to around probably the biggest ones I've seen around 15, 18 feet. Uh, maybe even bigger if you if you growing it for many years. What I like about it is it's very versatile. It can grow out in full sun and it's very tolerant of shade. So certainly if you have a half day shade and you're looking for that understory tree that kind of brings your eye down or does that layered landscaping between your 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 large oak trees, for example, or whatever tree you may have in your neighborhood where you're like, man, I want something for the birds, uh, something to bring my eye down, something that provides certainly ornamental value. Man, it the Shad Blow Service Berries for you. And, you know, I like them for their fall color. They kind of have this horizontal branching effect of two of them as, as well, which is kind of cool. Um, I've seen them in full sun and the healthiest ones I've seen in full sun are kind of in these low areas. Not that it's standing water per se, but the water's flowing through. It's, it's more of a, a wet area of a landscape if it's out in full sun. Now, even during a drought, I've seen them hold their own just fine in that full sun. But that's where I think, like say those of you wanting to build a large rain garden and you're like, I want some shrubs for kind of a backbone in there, perfect for a rain garden because that water's going to drain away and, and still allow the, the roots to breathe, right? Because the healthiest ones I've seen around Lincoln, where are you like, whoa, I mean, we're talking solid 20 feet tall and 15, 18 feet wide, right? And just like, okay, scratch your head on that size thing. But most of them I see in the landscape are just kind of, you know, not that aggressive, not that big, but boy, give it full sun and good moisture. And uh, you got a really happy shad blow. I was excited to see this as tree of the year because it's a small tree. Right. And, you, you know, not everybody has room for a right. sycamore, which... I would love to have room for, but right. um, we've had a lot of really big trees. It's the tree of the year. So mm -hmm. it's nice to see something smaller. Right. Um, and we're kind of thinking ahead in our yard. We have two crab apples that came with our house and they're going to age out here in a few years. And mm -hmm. we think ahead. We want to keep one crab apple, um, but we've been thinking about a service berry to replace the other because sure. it kind of falls in that same right. size category. Right. It's a nice wet spot. We need something to Perfect. take up some water. Perfect. Um, so it's fun to have those size options. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and, and, and it likes good organic soil, right, where it's at. So there's no reason you shouldn't. What I would do, Sarah, is say, I'm going to do a little small grouping of them. That's where I see they do really well, where maybe you're planting them in a group of three, Oh, I don't know. You could go like six feet apart, something like that. Let them grow up as one big unit, really. Uh, and then you got tons of fruit, too, down the road. And the fruit, by the way, makes the best pie ever. <laughs> um, my favorite is Juneberry rhubarb pie. Those two combined are just uh, hello. Where have you been all my life? So you got you to gotta beat the birds. The birds will get them before they go from red to this dark, uh, almost purple-black color. Uh, rich purple color and um, good luck getting them before they turn purple from the birds. But I have some areas I collect shad blow from 
that um, the birds tend to avoid for some reason. I think it's because it's near a busy road and they don't feel comfortable. I don't know what it is, but I've had the fruit where it's that dark blue and there's no comparison to just one that's red. People will even cover them with bird netting uh, during that ripening phase, which I would highly advise. Heck, even squirrels eat them. Squirrels even like them. My dog even likes Juneberries. So everybody and their puppy dog likes Juneberries. And what do they taste like? You know, it's hard to, hard to describe. You know, it's kind of uh, like a, an apple flavor, uh, like a, with, a, with a good wine. You know, if you had an apple with a good red wine. I think of it as like... <laughs> It's an apple flavor, but it's sweeter and richer. Like, you know, an apple's kind of a light flavor. Mm -hmm. And this is not, it's a full flavor. Right. You know, if you look, Sarah, at the little fruits, and what are they about, what, I don't know, less than a half inch, three-eighths or so, between three-eighths and a half inch, let's say. If you're lucky, you'll get a half inch fruit. Um, Though they, if you you flip them upside down, it looks like a little miniature apple. They are a poem, uh, P-O-M-E. They're a poem like an apple, so in that apple family. And then they have little chewable seeds inside of them like a mulberry wood, right, or a strawberry. And those seeds give you a kind of a, uh, oh, how did Kay Young describe it? Um, Oh, poo, I'll think of it. But it's, uh, it'll come to me because we use that in in baking. Um, But uh, my name's Almond. Like almond extract, oh. uh, like so, it kind of gives you that almondy flavor. Okay, I know that we need to move on to the next one, but I just want to point out. So we've called them service berries, and we've called them June berries. Yeah, right. And I just want to drop a quick. It's a common name, guys. Right. <laughs> we and call I, things different things. Yeah, man. I'm um, glad commonly. You, I'm glad you pointed that out because Juneberry, I think, is just a better name, right? Service berries, like what? And it's called that because the the Shadblow. Is named. Uh, it's kind of a Canadian species. When the shad run, and when the shad are running, they know certain shad are a type of fish, a bait fish, that are that are up along creeks. So the tree likes to grow along creeks uh, where you're trout fishing up in the Northeast, right, and up in Canada. So that should tell you where you want to plant it in the landscape. If it's growing near a, a river or a creek, it wants a little more moist, right? Shade from the taller trees. So. So that would be a good one to plant if you want birds, especially if you are a birder trying to attract more birds to your backyard so you can watch them. That's a good one to go for. No doubt. All right. Shall we talk about shrub of the year? Yeah, well, let's do. Um, the shrub of the year is, is uh, you know, kind of an unsung hero of the landscape, I guess you could say. It's a native shrub. What are you talking about? You guys, Sarah is vehemently disagreeing over here. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've never liked snowberries, but right. I will listen to your defense of no, it. No, no, you're right. It's scruffy. Uh, she'd be kind of a scruffy dog, Sarah. And honestly, I'm just the uh, great plant guy. I'm not the voter. <laughs> I'm not the nominator. And uh, But somebody nominated it, and they nominated it for its wildlife value, I think, mainly. That I would fully agree right? with. This it, is a great wildlife plant. You know, this isn't one you're just going to put up by your front stoop, folks. It's uh, kind of hide it in the back 40. And I shouldn't say hide it, but it's a utility shrub. And it's a snowberry. We haven't said it fully yet. Snowberry. What's the scientific name? I can't say that. Yeah, Symphora, <laughs> Symphora carpos. Uh, it's a tongue twister. It's a, it's, it's a cool long name to learn when you had to learn it, right? And uh, everybody's like, what? When you first see it right hand, it's like, okay, there's an intimidating one. Uh, but yeah, Symphora carpos, the alba or albus, the white one, the you know, hence the name. So you also have Symphora carpos, which is the uh, coral berry. So it's a cousin of the coral berry. These were like the first 
um, round of plants in Plant ID that we took. And I remembered this one, Hannah will like it, because it was white for Albus Dumbledore's beard. That's mm-hmm. how I kept it straight from coral berries. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yep, that, that helped your brain remember it. You know, and it's known for these snow white berries that, that'll appear usually around, you'll start noticing them around Halloween time, I guess, and into Thanksgiving, but rarely do they last after Christmas, I found. Um, they don't hang out there and look gorgeous all Chris, all winter long, unfortunately. I have cut them and used them in indoor arrangements around Christmas time, though, and in wreaths, but the, unless you put them in water, they're going to turn, you know, they're going to turn on you. Put them in outdoor uh, evergreen boughs on the uh, uh, railing, too, for Christmas. That's cool. But, yeah, it's it's a tough shrub. Uh, those that maybe have a larger area they're looking to fill in that's um, dry, they don't want to have to take care of it, you know, no fuss, no muss. Maybe it's on a slope, so it's, you know, it's like, man, nothing nothing will grow there. What can I put there? You know, snowberry, perfect choice for that. And and same with if you're dealing with a lot of shade on that slope. They, they can tolerate a boatload of shade. more sun they get, the more they're going to fruit. And I'll say this, Sarah, out in western Nebraska, Gehring, uh, it's at Northfield uh, Park, uh, Northfield, I think it's called, in Gehring. It's been a while uh, since we've been to that park when we've gone there, but uh, need to revisit that during Wildflower Week. Not much for wildflowers, more trees. Anyway, they had a planting a snowberry there that it was, it was like gorgeous. And I'm like, well, maybe that's where snowberry really needs to be is out in the panhandle. I mean, it was loaded with fruit. I do think part of the reason that I don't love it as a, it's a great conservation plant and mm-hmm. it's a great wildlife plant. Right. I don't love it when it's, um, there's a lot here on campus that are just massed right next to buildings and right. things. And it's just not very pretty there. Right. I think one of the reasons is the foliage gets yucky mm-hmm. and you don't get yucky foliage out West cause you don't get humidity. Right. Um, so I think that plays a big, big part. I agree. I agree. And, and I've never seen the fruit production like, it, like it was out West too. Now, granted, this was like a 20 by 20 foot patch mm-hmm. and it made me wonder cause there's a Western snowberry as well, which is Symphoricarpus occidentalis, which is also white, but, and I, we were playing with that plant a while back, but I ended up not really moving on it. But anyway, um, snowberry, what it has, like coralberry does, is people don't think of these either one of those as great pollinator plants. But I'm telling you, folks, they're top-notch pollinator plants. Why is that? Well, they have these tiny little flowers that we would call insignificant as, as humans. But the wasps especially really love those tiny little flowers. You'll see those mud daubers flying around a patch when they're in bloom. And you're like, what are they doing? We have to look close to see those tiny little flowers. But they love them. People always overlook woody plants for pollinator mm-hmm. value. And mm-hmm. they they do a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a winner that way. And I think I've heard, too, that it's, a, it's one of the favorites of the leaf miner bee to mm-hmm. cut uh, leaves from to, uh, for their nest. So everything has a benefit. Mm-hmm. So this would be a good one if you're trying to get pollinator and do birds eat them? You know, it's not necessarily highly sought after. Um, From what I've gathered, uh, you know, pheasants, grouse, quail, things like that. Well, we don't necessarily have those in in, in Midtown Lincoln, right? I would love to, though. (laughs) Yeah, right? Uh, We have quail all over the place if you just get out of Lincoln. So. I love watching quail, and I would love to attract a whole right. bunch of... I love little baby quails. 
I, I would too. So, so the wildlife value comes in. One, it's a pollinator plant because insects are wildlife too. Two, the habitat because it's a thicket shrub. So it's going to have very dense stems. So the leaves that drop the, in there, the leaves that fall, whatever can all just stay. So you have that overwintering habitat for beneficial insects and, and beetles and things like that. So that's where that mainly comes in. Excellent. All right. Plus, you don't see white berries very often. That's yeah, kind of fun. Right? Yeah, and there's some newer cultivars out there that could also be, I guess, plugged into the snowberry. Uh, their names are escaping right. Pink parasols, I think, is one of them. They're really nice, and uh, so breeders have done some work with the uh, snowberry to get some color in- interjected and a little more fruiting. So be looking for those hybrids too. They're hybrids actually, but uh, but worth worth growing. Okay, up next, conifer of the year. And I know this is getting tougher because conifers are not doing great across the state, but I think we found one. Right, I think we found one. (laughs) Oh man, the poor conifer, except for the eastern red cedar, right? That thing is doing more than well across the state. But yeah, the conifer of the year is getting harder and harder to choose. And and, But if you go back to 1998, to today, man, that's a big list. And there's, you know, what, 20 some conifers on that list now. And so, yeah, it's getting harder to find one that uh, that you can hang your hat on, if you will. And this latest one is the Japanese white pine. So yes, it's from across the, uh, the big pond uh, in, in native to Japan, but it's proven itself in Nebraska. I, I take a lot of my conifer recommendations and trust the word of a nurseryman here in Nebraska, Todd Fowler. Uh, from uh, Fowler Landscape in York. Todd's been playing with a lot of different conifers over the years. And I shouldn't say playing with, I mean, if you're in the nursery business, you can't just play with something, right? It's got to prove itself. Yes, we can. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you sure well, can. We can because we're a nonprofit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, if you're, if you're looking to make your client happy and not having to replace a dead tree, you're probably going to go with something that's proven itself. And yeah, and so we've got this great, great plants publication that that'll be uh, coming out here in 2024, and um, on there you'll see the image of the Japanese white pine. That image is taken at Father Landscape uh, next to their. Uh, building. So what I like about it is it's not going to grow into this massive 60-foot white uh, white type pine in Nebraska. It's not going to be as fast growing as a white pine. So it's not going to be as susceptible to winter damage and snow damage and ice damage and things like that. It's more of your, I need a specimen, right? I need a, a little conifer that's never going to get too huge uh, in a quick, because it's slow growing. Um, but those slow growing pines tend to uh, have better longevity. I think, and don't get busted up in storms. Is it, I mean, I, I kind of think all conifers are slow growing. Right. <laughs> I know my neighbor has had one that I've been watching. He planted and he's like, I don't know if this thing's ever going to grow. And I can't say that it's grown at all in the three, four years he's had it there, but Yikes. Um, it's still alive. Is it a spruce? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they can do that to you. And, you know, the, the white pine's the exception. My, oh, my, the white pine's, uh, I've, I've been amazed when people say, I planted that 12 years ago, and you're looking up at this 30-foot, 30 35-foot tree, right? So, yeah, um, but then that comes with the price, right? When you get heavy snows, they get easily uh, kind of a... Uh, a weakened wood, if you will. And I don't, I don't love mass plantings of evergreens in eastern Nebraska, with a, a few artistic exceptions. They don't look place appropriate mm-hmm. for us. But 
uh, an evergreen specimen right. in any planting it just adds texture and winter interest right. and just a different evergreens have a different type of color to them. Exactly. So I really like this one for its specimen use. Yeah, maybe you got a hot spot in your yard because they like full sun, right? And and so you got a hot spot and it's like, I need something there that's kind of stands out and gives me some pizzazz in wintertime. Mm-hmm. What's great about Japanese white pine is the, the needles are kind of a blue-green, which is very attractive. Uh, just really a, a nice looking pine tree. And they, they kind of fit in those in that category to me. They're not they're a little bigger than like those really funky, you know, pines with the weeping branches and mm-hmm. stuff. But um I I always think of those trees as like grown up bonsai trees, like in the landscape. They get the kind of an odd shape to them. Um they're not just, you know, a Christmas tree, a straight right. triangle right. evergreen tree. Right. They like, they're a little different. Got some character. Yeah. Right. Biggest ones I've seen was at the uh, property of Ed Rasmussen and Ed lives uh, north of Omaha, just north of 680, not too many miles and uh, outside of Omaha. And he had some trees there and What's cool about it, if you can get your Japanese white pine to this stage, is the the pine cones are really cool, mm-hmm. but it's like they've been super glued to the tree. Okay. It's like I remember trying to get just a pine cone off that thing, and it just would not come off. But really, really attractive pine cones. Well, yeah, I see in this photo we have in here, you can see the pine cones kind of at the tips mm-hmm. of a few branches. Mm-hmm. That would just be a really beautiful thing to look out on in your backyard when the snow's coming down in the winter and see this just like bottle brush type tree, but the snow would land on it in cool (laughs) spots and you'd see it. And I bet you'd definitely see birds in it because they'd be looking for that shelter in the snow. Exactly. Yeah, you could decorate this thing up. Or, you know, it's also one of the most popular bonsai specimens throughout the world. Um, And you may say, well, I'm not really into bonsai because I don't want to keep that in a little pot and, you know, be a slave to watering that thing. Well, here's your opportunity to do an outdoor bonsai specimen where you find the right location. Maybe it's a a little mounded area, right, that kind of looks like a container you would have inside, right? You could even make some sort of artistic thing to make it look like a container, but yet it's planted in the ground and uh, becomes your bonsai. I love bonsais, but we all know my ability to keep potted plants alive. So Right, uh, me too. I re- that's one of the reasons I kind of like these funky shaped yeah. things in the landscape is that's where I'm capable of growing things. Yeah. Uh, and bonsai is hard. There's yeah. a lot to it. Um, but you can kind of just let this do its own thing in, in the landscape. Yeah, and like you said, bonsai is hard, but half of that, if not more of that hard, is keeping it alive in that little pot. Okay. And then you're, I'm supposed to prune the roots too. What? Okay. Uh, I feel like I'm going to kill this thing. <laughs> I tried it once and then yeah, that didn't work so well. I kept one alive for several years, yeah. and it got me a bonsai ficus. Oh, uh, cool. Um, and I kept it alive for a long time, and then, you know, ficus, the, it just objected to one of our houses uh-huh. and just died. <laughs> <laughs> objected to one of our houses. <laughs> I don't like it here. No, I'm going to die. I've never described <laughs> a plant like that, but it's a good way, which reminds me, you know, I talked about my Christmas cactus thanksgiving cactus yesterday i realized oh it needs some water right before i was leaving for work so i poured some water in that well then that got the cat excited so then she jumped up into the plant knocked the plant down all the water went everywhere my grow lights went flying it was like the most Mm. traumatic start to my day (laughs) 
<laughs> so um, I think my plants are going to start objecting to my cat <laughs> pretty soon. I hereby object. <laughs> yeah. That's great. <laughs> okay. Grass of the year. I'm so excited. If we can get this, because I know you're a little concerned about supply, uh-huh. I probably need at least half a flat, if not more. <laughs> right. Because I'm going to plant this everywhere. Yeah. The grass of the year. You know, and I would just say, look around, ask around for it, you know, and your nursery, hopefully, if they don't have it, will be getting it for you. Um, cause I know of some people that have it in Lincoln and they found it somewhere locally. Um, so anyway, uh, the grass of the year is black Hawks, big blue stem and black Hawks is, uh, well, it's actually a discovered, it's a, it's a cultivar. And some people are concerned about planting cultivars of our native big blue stem. Well, cultivars, um, are th- these were found in nature. So it wasn't just like somebody crossing pollen or whatever you know it was found in nature and and blackhawks was a seedling so somebody wrote out uh, a bunch of what's called red october and this blackhawks stood out amongst those seedlings like wow look at that dark color in the fall so it has hints of that color uh, going into the season in the spring it's a really dark green and and comes up like any warm season grass but then later on in july and august you'll start getting these purple tints in that grass and then come october um, it, the darn thing almost turns black. It's so cool and backlit by the sun. Seed heads kind of also. So a big blue stem grows up. You'll get kind of what we call basal foliage, right? That's about knee high by the 4th of July. And then, and then it sends these flowering stalks up above that basal foliage that gets up to about five feet, six feet, and sometimes gets floppy. Well, uh, Blackhawks is not as tall as those typical. So it's more like, I would say, four, maybe in more moist soil, five feet. Um, so it really maintains a nice upright habit without getting floppy on you. Um, and, and just a really a standout in the landscape. And if you're going to plant something with it for that fall look, you know, your asters or your goldenrods are just going to make this thing pop. I'm just picturing something yellow around exactly. the base of this purpley. Right. What dark. It's get? dark. Yeah. It's not it's not purple like you're thinking of. It's yeah. like maroonish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And um yeah, like I say, I've seen it perform in gardens, and anybody who's planted it really loves it. And Intrinsic Gardens is the ones that uh, release this thing, and they're known for their their selections for sure in the grass world. Yeah, your photo credit goes to the Country Club of Lincoln, so yeah. it's here. I checked our yeah. suppliers. They have it listed, but they have zero availability. Uh, so they want it, but they don't right, have it yet. Right, right. Yeah. So maybe we collect some seed. Yeah, the only problem with that, Hannah, is uh, the seed would not come true enough. Oh, I see. Yeah, we would just say blackhawk seedlings or something like that, you know. And well, I'm looking at this enough. picture, and it looks about the age to be divided. So <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> maybe we could we could yeah. offer our services in landscape maintenance and walk away with some. Yes, <laughs> I agree. We'd be like, no, we just trimmed it. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 and I do have to say, okay, Blackhawks, well, you know, there's a certain hockey team that hails from Chicago. That's where the name Blackhawks came from. Apparently, the dude's a hockey fan, so there you go. That's where the name comes from. I don't know if it was discovered. I think Intrinsic Gardens is also from Illinois, so that's what I did not think of hockey. I thought of Right? I did, too. (laughs) Well, I just love the color. I mean, it has, like, every color you would want in your fall, like, landscape 
and you everyone who listens know how I am about my fall landscape. Yes, so yes. it's like I said, I'm gonna need a lot. I'm gonna search high and low. <laughs> you know, even you know, love them or hate them, mums against this thing would be cool. Some yellow mums and. A plant I grew last year was a, a helenium, the uh, yellow dicks, um, that bloomed right up until a hard freeze. That would be kind of cool at the base. Or even pumpkins. Right. I'm just thinking of like yes. stacking my pumpkins yes. in front of this. Yes. Well, I was thinking because, you know, I put my pumpkin patch in my front yard, this with my pumpkins. Oh, yes. oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So we've been referring to this publication while we've been recording. So... I think by the time this airs, it'll be available. Um, so I'll put the link um, so that you can get it digitally. And some, I don't really know where you can get it physically because we have physical printed copies. We'll have them places. Yeah, there'll be places. <laughs> yeah. If you encounter them, lucky you. Become a member. But uh, <laughs> they go primarily to our industry partners, I yeah. think. So if you come across a nursery that partners well with us, then... That was a bad way to say yeah. it. If you come across a nursery that we partner with, then you'll you'll find it there. But um, anybody can take a look at the digital copy. And there's a few other articles in here, too. So we have t- this year's great plants. We have the last 25 years of great plants. And then we have articles on um, from different people in our network on some invasive species to keep a lookout for. Um, I did an article on, on using vertical layering with your woody plants, and this year was a, a great selection for layering with our, our service berry and our Japanese pine. And then we have um, a discussion of our conifer issue that we've been seeing. And, yeah. Did I yes, miss anything, indeed. guys? Yeah, and like you said, you know, that the, the listing, uh, the cumulative list of all the past winners, um, Wow, is a who's who of, of, you know, garden demands for your own landscape. Wonderful. All right. Well, that's a lot of good plants to choose from. If you're trying to plant something new this year, come see us at Spring Affair or at any of the other sales or talk to your local nursery. Bring You can bring this publication to them and say, I want all of these plants. Yes. <laughs> and watch their eyebrows go up. Okay. Yeah. They'll be like, how many flats? you got to order more than one. <laughs> Will we, ha- I know we never carry conifers, but other than the, the pine, I do intend to have all of these. I mean, we can't get, we haven't been able to find the Blackhawk um, yeah, the Blackhawk, I can't promise for sure. And, um, you know, for sure, I ordered in the uh, uh, tree of the year, the, uh-huh. the service berry. And um, I don't think I was able to get everything, though. Okay. Uh, I, I would say, yeah, ask around for that conifer, that Japanese white pine. But, you know, if you're, you're close enough to follow nursery in York would be a good choice or, or hit up your local your own local nursery yeah. and ask them if they carry it. It's always uh, plant procurement is a tricky thing because a nursery, like any other business, is going to carry mostly what they have always been asked for. So sometimes you have to go to them and say, hey, I'm looking for this plant. And it's going to take a couple people saying, hey, I'm looking for this plant um, before it's it's a good investment for them. So um, share the great plants with other gardeners in your area and encourage them to also ask um, at their nurseries that they go to. Yep, that's that's exactly. We create the demand. All right, everybody. It is time for our favorite part of the show, which is our plant of the week. And as I say it, we all go, oh, no. Uh-oh. 
got nothing. I didn't think of a plan of the week. So imagine some Jeopardy music playing right here while we think of that. So mine right now is going to be a combination of plants, but it's my pollinator garden that I see right out my kitchen windows. Um, it is completely dead, but it's still gorgeous. So it's I've got big blue stem among some other things, but the, the really showy ones are my big blue stem and my goldenrod because I leave those seed heads. And every morning I've been standing there making my tea and they're just frosted over on their little fluffy seed heads. And it's just a beautiful thing to look at in the morning. Um, in the afternoon, we've got the little finch birds visiting. Um, so I'm just really enjoying my dormant pollinator garden. Oh, you want me to? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I would have been thinking of one harder oh, on that. I can go if yeah. you want. Okay. So further I get into this job, the more I jump on Bob's bandwagon. And mine, <laughs> <laughs> my plant is also, because if Sarah can do a grouping, then I can do a grouping. So mine is grasses because I'm so excited for this big blue sim. And I think grasses are underappreciated in the landscape. And I am definitely not the first to say that. <laughs> There's a lot of people who think that. But I have been adding more grasses to my landscape and just the interest that it provides year round. And if you take the time to look close enough, the flowers are gorgeous, but you just have to stop and look and slow down. So I'm excited to add more grasses to my landscape this this gardening season. Definitely this big blue sim, but really I love a lot of them. Um, a lot of the native grasses. Like side oats is probably one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. So if you are like something's missing from my landscape or you have that tough spot where like for me, my dog is always grasses stand up to a lot of that and they kind of just will make it work and they spread their seed. So they'll pop up in those spots where you need to fill in some space. So that's what I'm going with this week. Grasses. It's perfect for everybody. Nice. I, I got to go with uh, a plant that's kind of catching my eye when I come out the door. And it may not be readily available, but uh, Creeping Mahonia um, is a panhandle native uh, into the front range of the Rockies. And it actually was a past shrub of the year. It's another one of those that's like, man, it hasn't made the nursery industry everywhere. But if you can find it, I know patches that are 20 years old around, uh, like in my hometown, uh, the late Jim Cook planted them there for a grant project and still looking great after all these years. But it's a holly looking leaf, you know, and so it also, of course, if we had some snow on the ground, mm -hmm. that, that holly looking leaf uh, would be uh, coming out. But anyway, uh, it looks good in the wintertime with that holly looking leaf, especially with snow at the base of the plant. It's a ground hugger uh, spread slowly, but surely. Shirley and and uh, it's funny because mine I collected seed from it uh, so it's kind of near and dear to my heart that I actually grew it from seed and uh, now it's in my landscape all these years later. Yeah I forget about that plant a lot because it's not readily used in this part of the state a whole lot but it yeah. is a gorgeous plant. It is and uh, man you see it all over Denver Botanic Gardens they use it a lot. It has these clusters of yellow flowers in the spring that are fragrant um, and it can get these little uh, droops uh, uh, a little grape looking thing in the fall um, that's supposedly edible but only place you'll find it in Nebraska is out in the panhandle and Bob's yard 
And Bob's yard, exactly. <laughs> that came from Grizzly Creek right there in Colorado. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Bob, to talk about great plants. As Sarah said, this is a publication, so it's on our website, but we will also link to it in the show notes so you can look at the whole thing. Um, if you do want a physical copy, you just need to call or email us and we'll be happy to mail one to you. That's not a problem. Um, and now is... T- it, we're done. This is the end of the podcast. <laughs> and now that's it. <laughs> that's it, everybody. Let's call it uh, <laughs> So thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to rate and review us. Share us with a friend. We would love to spread our reach to everybody. Um, and we're coming up on gardening season. We're not that far away. Like less than 100 days, Bob and I were talking about, and we panicked a little bit. So, um, we don't, there's not a lot of time. So, if you're planning your garden, send in your gardening questions. We will answer your questions any time of year. So, if you, even if it's like, hey, what should I plant? We'll send you a list of many plants because we love plants. So, there's a lot of good stuff on our website. Don't forget to check that out at plantnebraska.org where you can also sign up for a membership or donate because, you know, like I said, we're a nonprofit, so we'd love your money. Uh, Thank you for listening, everybody. Bloombox and Bloombox Growing Deeper are both programs of the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. 